Hello, and welcome to the DC Insider Employer Update Podcast. This podcast provides updates based on the expertise and insights from the attorneys at the Washington, D.C.-based law firm, Fortney Scott, and their guests. This podcast will provide an analysis of significant federal developments affecting the workplace that employers need to understand and is for informational purposes only and does not provide legal advice. Now let's turn it over to our host, David Fortney. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the DC Insider Employer Update. This is David Fortney, and joining me today is both Nita Beecher. Hi, David. Hi, everyone. And Bert Fishman. Hi, David Nita. Nice to be back. It sure is. And of course, this is our last podcast of 2023. We've had a blast doing these. And we thought today, kind of to end the year, we're going to kind of track what our friends in the agencies have been doing. And specifically, they gave us a holiday gift about a week or so ago. They put forward the regulatory agenda. I know you have to be a real geek to think that's a holiday gift, but for us in our space, that kind of is. Because what that is, it provides the playbook, if you will. It is the agencies publishing. They're not held accountable. It's not formal deadline but it is an articulation of what regulations they intend to work on and what they intend to do, at least for the next six months or longer. And I think it provides a lot of insights into that. So what I'd like to do is take today, and Nita and Bert, with your able assistance, see if we can unpack some of the highlights because it covers every single regulation by every single agency. So there's a lot there, but let's get it honed in for what employers need to know. And I was thinking that maybe we would start with the U.S. Department of Labor. Our friends at DOL, they're big regulators, and they don't disappoint. And Bert, maybe I can ask you, you looked, I know, at the Wage and Hour Division, which has had a lot of activity. What's the highlight that you see in that reg agenda? Obviously, I think uh, the biggest one, David, is the new overtime rule. That is what they call the 541 rules. It sets the threshold for when exempt employees not eligible for overtime and everybody else is. And the big ticket this year is the proposed reg seeks to raise that threshold of uh, close to $20,000 to $55,000 per year as a salary. And there's an automatic increase linked to the CPI. This is a huge increase, and it has caused an unusually vehement response from Congress and the business community. And that's kind of easy to understand because this is such a huge change. And in light of the fact that the last time they tried to do this, there are questions about final implementation. You might recall during the Obama administration, there was a similar increase that was challenged in court after companies had made adjustments and arrangements. Something like three to five days before it was supposed to be finalized, the court enjoined it. So companies are now reticent to go forward to make the kinds of changes that they may have to make. And the other thing to think about, because we've talked about it in the past, you know, how does a company budget for its compensation for its staff? How does it hire? How does it price its products without knowing what your employment costs are going to be? And this is the kind of impactful regulation that has raised concerns about the role of our unelected legislators that are being argued in the Supreme Court. Well, at this point, I think the important thing also, Bert, back to your point about the litigation that occurred at the end of the Obama administration, 
in there was a little nugget that district court, and that's never been resolved, said that, oh, by the way, salary basis, which is what we're talking about, is a salary basis test is not in the statute of the Fair Labor Standards Act. And most recently in the Supreme Court decision in Helix, which came down last year, Justice Kavanaugh raised the same issue. So one would expect that everyone who's against this rule will jump all over that in litigation in probably in Texas in front of Judge Matthew. So these regulations, these are the so-called white collar regs that apply to administrative professionals, outside sales and others. So this is a huge, as Bert, you indicated, huge application. Ironically, the business community, which is obviously greatly concerned about this massive one-time jump, and Bert, you mentioned that they proposed 55, 56,000, but with the consumer price index upon implementation, it'll probably be closer to 60,000, which means that anyone, forget what the duties test is, anyone paid below that salary amount would have to get overtime, which is what makes it so challenging to people. Ironically, if the conservative view, the question is, did the statute authorize the development of a salary test? which has been in place for decades. This is a historical part of the white-collar regulations. Employers actually like that part because even if you disagree with the salary, you at least know who is above the line and below the line, if you will. And you're right, Bert, it's murder to plan for this and so forth. But if a challenge removes the salary test, then we're down to arguing about duties, which has always been very, very challenging. And expensive. That is worrisome. And Bert, am I right? They're looking at that for the spring? Yeah, the proposed date for a final issuance is to become effective in April. And that's part of the reason you're having so much congressional activity. There's rumors about a Congressional Review Act, which could cancel it, but that can be vetoed. So it's really kind of theatrics. But there is a lot of activity on this issue because of its massive impact on the economy. Right. You need to keep an eye on when this regulation goes into effect. Many of you out there have huge parts of your workforce that earn between that 35, let's just say 35 to $60,000. And there is great potential that at least for a period of time, you're going to have to pay those folks overtime. So you need to think about your staffing, your scheduling, your budgets, all those points, Bert, that you raised. And I think we'll just see what happens. But last time it was a real mess when it got overturned. The difficulty that employers have to deal with is you know, some people may get bumped to avoid overtime, or you may have to reschedule how your workforce works to avoid making people work overtime. This has a massive impact beyond simply the dollars. Well, you know, another rule that's terribly important for employers is who is classified as an independent contractor, which worker is an independent contractor versus an employee. And the Labor Department has been working on a regulation for that. The comment period on that was recently extended up till the middle of December. Very controversial. But the Labor Department has gone around, and first of all, the proposed regulation makes it much easier for contractors to require them to be classified as employees. And it limits the range or the number of workers that properly can be classified as independent contractors. What are the consequences of that? It means they have to be paid overtime. It means that they're covered by the various employment-related laws, discrimination, the NLRB, whole range of things. And in, in some instances, is potentially quite disruptive to the business model that has been put in place and that people rely on. So once again, the planning of that 
basically, the Labor Department's proposed reg focuses on you know, some of the traditional factors, the extent to which it's a part of the employer's business, the worker's actual investment in their own tools or equipment, their laptops, things like that, the degree of permanence of the working relationship, more transactional, the more likely they can be a contractor. And they introduce this time a new requirement, the amount of skill that's required to perform the work, which means that all the lower skilled people are much more likely to be deemed to be employees, albeit even short-term or project-based employees and no longer contractors. We'll see how this works out. The comment period, like I said, just closed. And this is one that I think is also going to be potentially quite disruptive to today's business models. Well, this administration is very late getting this out because there was the Trump IC joint employer regulation, which was supposed to go into effect in March, I think, of 2021. And as a result, what happened is the courts held the Biden administration had not rolled it out properly, had not properly complied with the Administrative Procedures Act. So they had to start over again and actually allow the Trump joint employer regulation to go into effect with respect to the Department of Labor, recognizing, Bert, that there is a joint employer regulation in place for the NLRB. Well, you know, this is another one of those regulations with a huge congressional and business interest. As it happens, of course, there are differing state laws and conflicting court decisions on the proper treatment of, let's call it the gig economy, which is what's really driving this. You know, and one of the issues is our 90-year-old labor laws are cracking under the pressures of a 21st century economy. And somehow or the other, we have to find a way to bring more workers under some of the protections of the workplace laws without destroying the individuality and creativity of genuinely independent workers. All the trouble that happened in California with AB5 is an admonitory example. But this is a very, very significant issue. You know, everybody's talking about other kinds of social issues before the Supreme Court. This one actually affects the operations of our economy. You're right. And Nita, you mentioned about the joint employment reg that the NLRB has. We're going to have a whole podcast in January dedicated just to the NLRB. So we're going to unpack that then. It's noteworthy, though, that the Labor Department opted not to pursue that. Well, let's shift gears into some other areas that the Labor Department, again, is a pretty heavy regulator. Let's explore federal contractors. And Nita, maybe I could ask you to kick that off. Certainly. Let's talk about our friends at the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs. They have been pretty quiet. We expected them to issue new regulations. The regulations that we operate under as federal contractors really haven't changed all that much, honestly, in about since the 70s. And especially how you do your affirmative action plans, doing them by establishment, doesn't really reflect, you know, as Bert was talking, doesn't really reflect how people actually manage their companies today. We have not seen new regulations. We have it in the regulatory agenda that there will be something issuing. The NPRM is expected in late 2024, shortly before the election. But I think we can see, just to give a minute or two, you can see what's going to happen in that proposed changes by what is in the current scheduling letter that came out in August of this year. One, 
they're going to try and pull together as many groups of employees into one affirmative action plan as they can. Right now, what they are doing is they're claiming you have a campus-wide setting as a corporation. If you have buildings within as much as 30 miles of each other, and they want the affirmative action plans for all of those. So that seems to lead us to think that there will be something closer to what we call functional affirmative action plans. Obviously, a lot more information on compensation will be required. Analysis will be required to be submitted to the agency. And I think most importantly, you're going to see much less focus on affirmative action, especially after this year's Supreme Court decision, much more on systemic discrimination. Thanks, Nita. And another point that federal contractors are grappling with are new regulations involving prevailing wages and benefits. In the construction area, laborers and mechanics are subject to the Davis-Bacon Act, and there was a massive revision of the DBA regs that just went out about a month ago. Anyone involved in that space, if you're not familiar with it, you must become familiar. And a companion piece, the Inflation Reduction Act, a very misnamed statute, that's what's putting billions out there for the infrastructure rebuild, contains a number of additional requirements, including apprenticeship programs applicable to construction projects. So those new requirements are being kind of, as they say, building the plane while flying it a little bit. And the Labor Department also is going to be issuing new service employee regulations affecting their prevailing wages and benefits. So the workforces, the non-exempt workforces that largely power these federal contract obligations, there's going to be significant changes this coming year for those. Well, let's talk, Bert. I don't want to leave the Labor Department quite yet because one of the (laughs) the biggest rulemaking agency is OSHA. We could have five podcasts describing OSHA, but I'm going to limit you to just what's the highlight? What's going on? What what should we be most concerned about at OSHA? OSHA is a regulating agency. They probably have more pending regulations than the rest of the Labor Department combined. But the one that's causing the most controversy is the one that doesn't deal with health and safety. It has to do with who participates in a walk around in an OSHA inspection. And OSHA has proposed to permit workers and unions name a third party to accompany an OSHA inspector during an inspection, regardless of whether the representative is an employee of the employer, if the compliance officer thinks it might be useful. This raises all sorts of privacy, trade secrets, property rights questions. You know, community activists uh, not associated with the workforce come on to your facility? Could attorneys for injured plaintiffs come on? Could competitors come there? But believe it or not, maybe not surprisingly, the biggest issue for most employers is whether union organizers can participate as part of an organizing campaign, showing the flag, finding violations. Needless to say, this is bitterly opposed by the business community. It will be challenged in court on trespassing rights, on other kind of rights. And of course, not focused on this means that most employers, or in fact, all employers will now require a warrant to have an OSHA inspection, adding to the cost, adding to the delays. It's one of those unintended consequences, but keep your eye on this one because this really is getting the business community upset. A great point. There were so many comments and activity. They actually extended the comment period I think that just recently closed. And they did not give themselves a deadline, did they, in their agenda for when they would publish a final rule? No, no. It's going to take them about eight months just to go through the 
tens of thousands of comments. Okay. All right. Well, let's shift over out of the Labor Department. Let's go over to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or EEOC. Not a traditional heavy regulator, because certain statutes, Title VII, basically says it doesn't authorize regulations, but a number of other statutes, the EEOC does administer authorized regulations. And Nina, they have some regulatory activity going on. What's going on with the EEOC? Well, I think we've talked about this on previous podcasts. We have the Pregnant Worker Fairness Act that was passed this year. And one of the requirements was that EEOC issue regulations by the end of the year. They have, in fact, issued proposed regulations. There are a couple of issues in particular that have been raised. And I think one of those has been the fact that they have added abortion as a protection, either having one or not having one. And Bert, what are some of the other controversial items under the proposal? Well, yeah, Anita, the most important, of course, is the inclusion of abortion that's caused a congressional response. But the other elements of the uh, regulation that have caused concern are provisions that permit covered employees to not perform the essential functions of their job for up to 80 days. And that includes fertility treatments, lactation issues. There is some indication that the agency is going to respond to these comments and may very well modify this proposal. As David pointed out, the EEOC generally doesn't do regs. This is unusual, one of the unusual ones that it does. So a lot of things that we don't know what else they're going to be doing other than they're going to finalize the harassment guidance, which has come out. And some of the issues around that have to do with LGBTQ harassment, use or not use of misgendering people, and whether that's harassment, for example. And I think, David, the biggest one that is not on the agenda, but we feel is coming, is whether there's going to be a new EEO1 component to pay data collection sometime in the next year. Yeah, Nita. And of course, you've been very deeply involved in that for years. Uh, Part of the National Academy of Sciences initial study, they've looked at this twice for the EEOC. Currently, I think many in the employer community had expected as soon as the EEOC achieved its full complement of five confirmed commissioners, which it now has, that the Democratic majority would punch out very quickly this component to this pay data collection report, possibly as early as the first quarter of 2024. The truth is, we don't know exactly what's going on. I think there's at least some possibility that EEOC may engage in some rulemaking on this. They have the ability to do so. EEO1 obligations are based on a rule, and a rulemaking would take quite a while. And so I think their strong interest at the EOC to renew pay data collection. But how that's done, what data is collected, how soon it's done, is there going to be a pilot study? There are many, many issues that I think they're actively working through. Well, one data point I think we can take into account is that when they extended the EEO1 component one with the OMB, they only extended it for one year instead of three. So I think that's a factor. I agree. Well, let me just touch on one final thing and then we'll get going here so people can keep on with their holiday celebrations. But we focused on some of the big traditional workforce agencies, the Labor Department and all of its agencies, EEOC. And, but I, I want to just remind people that some of these non-traditional workforce agencies are poised to issue regulations that will be extremely far-reaching. 
the Securities and Exchange Commission, not one that the EEO and compliance personnel typically worry about, is poised, and we believe very likely in April of 2024, to issue proposed regulation that would deal with the reporting in annual reports, the 10K, the required reporting for publicly traded companies, a very detailed DEI metrics data on companies' workforces. Stay tuned. That would be a game changer and make much more public information on that type of detail that's not available today. Another point that it goes to one of our themes, which is what is the impact on business of all these changes, is the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, which is looking at potential restrictions on non-compete agreements. Many states do have such restrictions. This isn't a completely foreign concept to employers, but to impose a national standard on that is one that has caught a lot of people's attention. And that's another, I call it regulatory change that we're anticipating we're going to hear more about next year. You know, and just let me add a caveat. As we've discussed in a previous podcast on what we call the Chevron Doctrine, there will be an argument in January that may affect whether these regulations will go into effect. And it could fundamentally alter not just how the government works, not just how the workplace operates, but on how all of us in society operate. That's a good reminder, Bert. And we did cover that in a detailed podcast. And as we all know, it's going to be the courts that have the final word on the efficacy and whether these regulations, in fact, go forward, notwithstanding all the work that these agencies may be doing. Well, let's wrap up the year and wrap up this podcast with a couple of key takeaways. I'll go first and get out of the way so they can hear from you guys. I think that even if those regulations are superseded or put aside by the courts, the sub-regulatory guidance, and we've seen a lot of examples of that. Most recently, the wage-hour division issued sub-regulatory guidance in dramatically increasing child labor penalties. No advance notice, no comment, just here's how we're going to administer the program, and they cranked up the penalties. I forecast a lot more efforts at sub-regulatory guidance. Well, let me go next at the risk of repeating myself. If you had any doubt, the next 12 months will show that the judiciary is running this country. The decisions of the Supreme Court on all of these regulatory advances and initiatives that we've been talking about are going to be challenged. And I think the results of those decisions will fundamentally alter the workplace in a way that we have not yet contemplated. And then just one last thought on Chevron and the deference that may be taken away. We've already started to see this going back to the Obama administration. There was a time when the courts did not question the decisions largely made by the agencies. And it's clear now that they are. And I think those federal contractors and other employers need to ask themselves whether this chaos, which is going to be created, is really what they want as part of a regulatory scheme. Well, sounds like it's going to be an interesting year. And Nita and Bert, I want to thank you both. This has been a blast in 2023. We're going to keep it rolling in 2024. And one of the first podcasts we're going to do at the beginning of the year is going to be with the Wage Hour Division Administrator, Jessica Lumen, the Honorable Jessica Lumen, who heads the Wage and Hour Division. And she will be talking about all the different programs and policies and efforts that the Wage Hour Division has underway. Going to be a very exciting program. We're going to deal with the Labor Board. And, you know, we've got other agency representatives, and we're going to keep on top of a lot of breaking developments as they occur. So thanks, everyone. Enjoy the holidays and best wishes for the new year. And we look forward to having you join us again then. 
Bye now. Thank you for listening to the DC Insider Employer Update. The podcast that provides analysis of significant federal developments affecting the workplace that employers need to understand. You can subscribe to the DC Insider Employer Update podcast wherever you get your podcasts, which includes Apple, Spotify, and Google. Additional information about our podcast is located on the Fortney Scott website at fortneyscott.com. Thanks again for listening to the DC Insider Employer Update.